This is the Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, January 10th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, a neuromarker for drug and food craving distinguishes drug users from non-users, is in Nature Neuroscience. Functional MRI images were obtained while subjects were exposed to visual cues for drugs and palatable foods, and subjects were asked to rate their level of craving. Machine learning was then used to identify a pattern of neural activation associated with craving called the neurobiological craving signature, which extended throughout the brain. The same neurobiological craving signature was found for food and drugs, indicating the similarity of these cravings. This method identified individuals who used drugs with an 82% accuracy. The author suggests that the neurobiological craving signature has promise for diagnosing substance use disorder as well as measuring responses to treatment. Next is an article in Drug and Alcohol Dependence titled Brain Recovery of the NAC Fibers and Prediction of Craving Changes in Persons with Heroin Addiction. This study used imaging with functional MRI to measure fractional anisotropy of white matter tracts. The imaging was performed at baseline and then again following eight months of subject abstinence. The study found that at baseline, white matter tracts between the insula and the nucleus accumbens and between the ventral tegmental area and nucleus accumbens, were found to have decreased fractional anisotropy in persons with heroin addiction. After eight months of abstinence, both fractional anisotropy values improved significantly. A new article in Addictive Behaviors is titled Effects of Buprenorphine on Opioid Craving in Comparison to Other Medications for Opioid Use Disorder. In this systematic review, the authors examined 10 randomized trials to assess impact of buprenorphine on opioid cravings, including in comparison to methadone and extended-release naltrexone. Buprenorphine was found to decrease cravings related to placebo, and the reduction was greater at higher doses. However, buprenorphine did not appear to decrease cravings as much when compared to both methadone and XRNTX, particularly in early treatment. While it is unclear if these cravings have causal relationship with discontinuation of treatment, it may be worth considering the patient's craving symptoms in treatment selection. Next, we have a study in translational psychiatry titled In Utero, Exposure to Cannabinoids Disrupts Select Early Life Behaviors in Sex-Specific Manner. This article discusses the way CBD crosses the placenta and alters its structure, both of which can have a significant impact on pregnancy outcomes. This study found female and male sexual divergence in the consequences of in utero CBD exposure on neonates at early developmental ages. These results may be predictive of adult psychopathology and challenges the idea that CBD is a universally safe compound. A new study in molecular psychiatry is titled Association of COVID-19 with Endocarditis in Patients with Cocaine or Opioid Use Disorders in the U.S. This retrospective cohort study investigated whether COVID-19 is associated with increased risk of endocarditis in patients with opioid or stimulant use disorders. Among patients with opioid use or cocaine use disorder, COVID-19 was found to be associated with an increased risk of a new diagnosis of endocarditis. The incidence rate of endocarditis among patients with opioid use disorder increased from 3.7 in 2011 to 30.1 in 2022 and was similar for patients with cocaine use disorder. 
the results of this study emphasize the need for endocarditis screening and linkage to specialty care for these patients. The next article, titled Mortality Risk Following Non-Fatal Injuries with Alcohol Use Disorder Involvement, is in the Journal of Studies on Alcohol and Drugs. Patient presentations to the emergency department for alcohol-involved injury represent a growing public health burden, but their characteristics remain understudied. This retrospective cohort study examined mortality rates among emergency department patients presenting with alcohol-involved injuries and assessed how mortality varied by injury intent and other characteristics. Using statewide, longitudinally linked emergency department patient record and mortality data from California, this study found that alcohol use disorder-involved injury presentations to the emergency department are common and associated with high patient mortality burden, which varies by injury intent. Interventions are needed to reduce excess mortality in these patients. Our next study is in the Journal of Health Economics, titled Intended and Unintended Effects of E-Cigarette Taxes on Youth Tobacco Use. Various interventions have been put in place to curb electronic nicotine delivery systems among youth, including purchasing age limits and, in some cases, taxation. In this study, the authors examined the potential impact of taxes on use of electronic nicotine delivery systems and combustible tobacco products. The authors found a negative effect on use of delivery systems with increasing taxes, most notably among regular users of the delivery systems. However, there also appeared to be an increase in use of combustible cigarettes. The authors note that given current evidence that electronic nicotine delivery systems appear to be less harmful than combustible cigarettes, policy interventions and evaluation should consider unintended consequences, which may increase cigarette use and may have overall negative public health impact. Our final article is from JAMA Network, titled The Need for a Smoking Cessation Care Package. This article offers a comprehensive care package of resources to maximize smoking cessation. These resources include strategies at the individual, health system, and population levels. Cessation efforts that should be encouraged include advising patients to quit at each encounter, offering brief counseling and medications, additional resources, and follow-up strict standards for making tobacco ingredients less toxic and appealing, as well as reducing nicotine yield to minimally addictive or non-addictive levels, are additional strategies to support cessation. It is also critical to seek approaches to maximize barrier-free delivery of proven cessation therapies through available health systems. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ACM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary, delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and ASAM.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.